You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. I, I found out pretty quickly that this Dracula parrot, also known as the Pesquets parrot, uh, does not drink blood. So, What can they teach us? But what they found is, is some of the, the genes that they have and that help support this long lifespan is DNA damage repair and slow down cell Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. So here we are ending October with another spooky animal, but this oh, one... Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I, I wish I could go trick-or-treat to your house. But this one, I, I would say the Dracula parrot, it's not that spooky when you really get into it, like saying against that loggerhead shrike we covered a couple weeks ago. No, but it's just a really unique looking bird. And the colors on this parrot are pretty astonishing. And some some suggest haunting, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I found out pretty quickly that this Dracula parrot, also known as the Pesquets parrot, uh, does not drink blood. So no, 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 no <laughs> we'll dispel no. that myth right away. Uh, but yeah, it's basically named because of its pattern of color and it's just really unique in its physical appearance and a, a really cool parrot. You're going to talk a lot today. I know about evolution and what makes this parrot so unique, but it has been a fun week for me. I, I of course went down tons of rabbit holes with parrot intelligence and, just getting to talk all about parrots today and, and, and of course, getting the word out there that the Pesquets parrot is declining rapidly, according to the IUCN. Uh, there's, they're listed as vulnerable with estimates between 20 and maybe 50,000 adult parrots uh, living in New Guinea. So it's definitely a really important parrot that needs our attention, not just because of its really awesome colors pattern, but because it needs our help and has some really unique elements too that separate it from the typical citizen family as well. Now, this is going to be a, a, a fun one, Angie. I know you've been wanting to get parrots for like years. You're like, we got to do a parrot. We got to do a parrot. So we're yes. finally getting there. <laughs> and we'll do another one within the year. We just. Well, uh, we kind of did a parrot. Did we? In your well, neighborhood? 
oh, on the ground. We, oh, the cute. No, did we do? We didn't do the the cockapo. Didn't we? Oh, no, not yet. I've been b- begging to do the cockapo. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we did. No. After a okay. uh, hundred something episodes of animals. Yeah. Or, oh God, 200. We're at episode 252, I think. Okay. So, we'll put that one on the list. And honestly, yeah. reading a lot about parrots today, there's there's several more that I'd love to cover. So. Yeah. No, the cockapo is like definitely on there. My brother Joe's been begging for that one. But this one was voted by our Patreon supporters. So thank you. And then Dragon Nudie on Patreon. In the poll, I put up Vampire Parrot because I was tired and I had, you know, uh, Vampire Finch was one we wanted to do, thanks to Rachel in the UK. But the Patreon supporters wanted to, to hear about this one. So thank you for that. And, you know, again, Patreon, it, it helps pay our bills for one cup of coffee a month. It, we really appreciate the support. Uh, it keeps us going, keeps us motivated to keep going because you know right now i'm in the middle of lockdown again here in new zealand with two young boys running around my house and uh, you know i'm by myself until pip gets here so patreon makes me smile so thank you for your support (laughs) and thank you for all the kind comments and thanks for all the uh the kind emails Yes, please keep them coming. We love your emails. You can also join up to be part of our Facebook All Creatures Podcast group where we share several articles throughout the week and uh, just to discuss fun things. And of course, if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes and drop us some kind words, that would be wonderful. We haven't had any nice written words uh, this past month, so I'm itching to hear uh, some good reviews from iTunes. So please, please hop to that when you get a chance. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. Now, describing this bird, I I just want to say up front, one of the unique features is the face and they describe it like a vulture. But when I first saw it, one of the birds we wanted to cover and we will is the Raven. Cause to me, it, it does look like a Raven, even though I do see the vulture characteristics. I don't know. Well, you, you jump in. Yeah. And yeah. Well, yes, Chris, there's just so many cool things about this parrot. Uh, the head, the be- the beak, and we'll talk about all those. But in general, the Pesquets parrot has rich black feathers that give it that kind of haunting, spooky, Dracula type feel to it. But then it has a brilliant red scarlet belly, wing panels, and upper tail coverts. And then in addition to this red, bright red belly feathers, the red feathers taper into the legs. So they look like they have red legs. And then to make uh, the Dracula parrot even a little bit more sharp or haunting looking, uh, around the neck and chest where it has black feathers, there's basically like a dusting or a grayish scaling covering its chest. So when you look at it from the front angle, it's black, but with a little bit of gray just highlights, if you will, for lack of better terms. But then the head, the head is what we need to focus on. And Chris already alluded to it, is the fact that the Pesquet's head lacks head feathers. So it's bare looking and the skin underneath is black. And so when I first looked at this parrot, I couldn't really even see the bare face. Uh, but when I zoomed in, this uh, I had like four, four giant blown up photos on my slides because it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, parrot, but then also to try to to really zoom in on the, the the unique color pattern of their feathers. 
But if you zoom in on their head above and below their beak, and then almost in a widow's peak around their eyes, it's just bare skin. And that's very similar to a vulture, right? Now a vulture is going to have its complete head down into its neck bare for the most part, but this parrot just has it more around its eyes and beak. Uh, but it really, it really does blend in from a distance. And so I, I can see what you're saying, Chris, about it having almost like a raven or a crow like head, but you also caught something else that's really different about this parrot compared to other parrot species is the head is pretty small mm-hmm. in comparison to its body and definitely in comparison to like the parrots that I worked with. So I was blessed enough to work with a double yellow headed Amazon parrot um, that has a yellow, it's a beautiful green parrot, but then it has a yellow head and, but it has a very kind of big blocky head. And of course the beak is super strong and I love tequila. She was a great bird who taught me a lot. It's such about... a great name. It's such a great name. <laughs> it is. It is. And she got a hold of my pinky one time and I just, uh, it was my fault of course. Yeah. And she had it and we had kind of a stare off con test of like, I was basically begging her with my eyes, like, please don't take my finger. And she looked at me and then she thought about it and she gently lifted her, her uh, beak off of my finger. And oh, wow. I said, thank you, tequila. And then we were buddies after that. Um, <laughs> but she preferred males. And since I was a female zookeeper, she mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. took her a long, long, long time to warm up to me. But when she did, we became buds. Uh, but getting back to the Dracula, Pasquette's parrot, is its head is much smaller. Uh, and then it has this, this bare part around its eyes and its beak. And then the beak of the Pesquets parrot is actually a little bit more narrow and longer and hooked, which having this vulture-like hook with this long bill is just definitely different than other parrots. And so at first glance, you may not instantly think a citizen or a parrot. They're beautiful. I mean, they're, they're, birds are just, once you start paying attention to them, that's why I love when we cover birds. Cause I know we're both mammal physiologists. That is where we've studied and, and really our comfort zone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you know, thanks to Jesse, I always drop Jesse's name in a bird podcast, but I've really, because in New Zealand, you know, that's what we have besides invasive mammals that don't belong here. Or uh, our bats, you know, which we covered. But when you start paying attention, they're just, they're just beautiful. They're just beautiful. Oh, and, oh, and, and then when the Dracula parrot opens its wings and it has all of just standing there and it has all of that scarlet red underbelly and it does, it looks like Count Dracula's cape. It does. It does. It it's does. just really, really cool. And yeah. and then, Chris, I think it's also important to note too that the male and female of parrots in general, they look a lot alike. But uh, with the Pasquets parrot, uh, the male has a red spot behind his eye and the female doesn't have that. And so sure enough, I got really good at like looking at YouTube videos and zooming in and be like, that's a male, that's a female. I thought it was so cool. (laughs) But it's a distinguishing feature um, and it also gives them even more character besides Mm -hmm. these brilliant scarlet red wing and uh, belly and leg highlights. 
Right, 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 right. Like I say, you know, during lockdown, we go and do bird counts every day with the kids and and teaching them about birds. And now they're, they're you know, they're still my, my boys are young, but they can still. I'm like, okay, what bird is that? When we hear a, a call, usually it's like the New Zealand fantail or the tui. That one's always easy to to, to hear. Uh, or the well, the New Zealand fantail. The Maori name is is piwaka waka. Am I sick? Oh, I like, love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. why it's always like that's a piwaka waka. <laughs> he gets really excited. <laughs> Cute. He's like, that's a dollar, Dad. Because remember, a dollar a species. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's bribery. All right. Now, the best as far kind. as yes, 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 uh, learning, uh, paying my kids to learn. All right. Uh, the the body length is up to eighteen inches or fifty centimeters. So you know, it's it's not your huge Amazonian parrots that you you see uh, there in North America, uh, you know, at zoos and things. Um, so it's a little bit smaller, but, but not small by any stretch. I mean, 18 inches, still pretty, pretty hefty size. Again, birds don't weigh a lot. 28 ounces, 800 grams, uh, wingspans about a meter up to 50 inches. So, uh, you know, a, a decent looking bird. And then as Angie let off, you know, this is found in New Guinea, which is, is a place I'm going to talk about today. I really, really hope I can get there one day uh, to see some of the birds there. It's what I didn't know about New Guinea is actually the second largest island in the world with Greenland mm-hmm. being the largest. And this I didn't know, Angie. New Guinea's divided. The eastern half is Papua New Guinea. The western half is Western New Guinea, which is part of Indonesia. So I just thought the whole thing was Papua New Guinea, but it's not. It's actually divided. Me too. So thank you for educating us. Yeah, yeah there you yeah. go. That's what, that's what we do. So hopefully one of these days I can get, get out there. And I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. And then this parrot you only find in the mountains and foothills, right? They're, they're not near the coastline or in the lower parts of the, of the island. So they're up at some elevation, not at the top top, but you know, uh, not yeah. easy to reach places. Well, I read, yeah, I read between 600 and 1200 meters. Now parrots, Angie, uh, and we're going to find out with this one, the fruit of war. You know, we talk a lot about this, but seed dispersal, again, so important to the ecosystem. Oh yeah. And especially when you're talking about the Dracula parrot is that it's really known to consume just a few species of figs and it it eats other things. And we'll talk about that when we get to nutrition, but its primary diet are these three species of figs and the fruit. And so if they're not dispersing the seeds of these fig species, then how are they going to reproduce? So it's worth noting, again, the importance of frugivores, birds, and seed dispersal, especially one that seems to be a little bit more of a specialist than a generalist that specializes in certain fruits and will maybe potentially turn its nose up to others. But besides the ecosystem role, well, parrots are just beloved by so many people because of their longevity, their intelligence, their bright, brilliant colors, their their voices, uh, as far as when they can talk, uh, the whole poly want a cracker and mimicking human speech, um, which the Pasquet parrot's not as well known for as several of the other parrot species. But Chris, what I really want to talk about in tonight's podcast is parrots in general, not just the Pasquet's parrot, but 
in general, parrots are in big trouble. And so the parrots or the citiforms have the highest proportion of threatened species among the bird orders. Over a quarter, 25% of the almost 400 species of parrots are either vulnerable, endangered, or critically endangered. And then half of those that are critically endangered parrot species hang out in the Asiatic Oceania area where scientific knowledge about these parrot species are pretty sparse just because of, uh, as Chris mentioned, these are very remote regions and the mountains and the jungles and hard to study and or do bird counts. And New Guinea is rich with parrot species. They have over 46 species. But a lot of these species we're still learning about, including the Dracula or the Pasquets parrot. And of these 46 species of parrots in the New Guinea region, almost 10% are threatened. And this is because of deforestation and hunting and basically just us humans. And so we definitely need urgent field data, money, uh, rainforest protection, uh, just a whole bunch of things in the next couple decades if we're going to even think to save a lot of these parrot species. So that's my soapbox for today is I, I had no idea. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I know in general birds aren't doing – a lot of species of birds are not doing great. I just didn't realize that 25% of parrot species are in big trouble. And this is as of 2018. <laughs> so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the numbers could even be higher. Yeah, especially, you know, with the pandemic. And, Correct. you know, we're – we're starting to hear stories like we did with Madagascar last week of how these conservation projects are are suffering during the, the pandemic because it has shut down the world. So, well, Angie, I really wanted to focus on New Guinea this week because I there's just a lot I don't know about New Guinea. And it was funny. I was out when I was out bird watching with Jesse, like before we got into the lockdown. And I was asking him, like, God, wouldn't you want to go to New Guinea to travel and, and see all these birds? And he said, yeah, I would love to. It's just it's a difficult place to travel to. You know, you need guides and, you know, there's a lot of government warnings about traveling to that area of the world. So I still it's on my bucket list because, I mean, the birds of paradise, they're over 40 species. It's just one of the most biodiverse places on Earth. I mean, they they estimate up to 5% of all species on earth live in New Guinea. I mean, that's incredible. One species we're going to cover soon is tree kangaroos, which I know mm-hmm. you love. They, of course. You know, like I said, all the different birds, the plant life, all the reptiles like forest dragons. It, 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 it is such a rich biodiverse environment and the rainforest there stores Billions of metric tons of carbon. It's, so it's a huge critical carbon sink for the environment. And it's just it, the beauty there has just got to be awe-inspiring. So hopefully, you know, I, I'll be able to get up to New Guinea at some point in my life. But recently they, they have made the news. And we're seeing this across that region of the world which goes back to one of our favorite topics is to talk about palm oil. And the reason we keep bringing it up is because it is having 
a massive impact on Indonesia, Malaysia, and now New Guinea. It, uh, apparently in New Guinea, they're losing a lot of habitat because of palm oil plantations and exploitation. So I, I saw this go across my newsfeed a couple of weeks ago. And so I, I remembered it when we were, you know, and then knowing the Dracula parrot and researching the Dracula parrot and how the Dracula parrot is imperiled because of habitat loss and also humans poaching them. But right now it's estimate. So, okay. So right now palm oil in New Guinea is about 150,000 hectares, which isn't, or that was in 2016. So five years ago, uh, they don't have an update. I, I couldn't find an updated estimate in the next 10 years. They want to grow that to one and a half million hectares. Oh, just, wow. Yeah. Just for palm oil. And so when I started looking that up, like, okay, well, I tried to put that in my head. I, I did come find out that's equal to all the farmland in New Zealand. All of it for everything, you know, fruits, vegetables, livestock, all the farmland in New Zealand would be equal to what they want to farm for a single crop of palm oil in Papua New Guinea. It's about 15,000 square miles. So it, it, it's, it's significant. It's a significant size of the land is going to be plowed under for, for palm oil. Again, here we are again. Now, why New Guinea made the news was because an NGO called Global Witness revealed massive human right abuses and massive deforestation in Papua New Guinea with palm oil. And so this quote unquote dirty palm oil had been sold to brands including Nestle, Kellogg's, Colgate, Hershey, uh, and if Imperial Leather and a few other companies have been buying this quote unquote dirty palm oil. And in their undercover investigation with these ex executives, I think it's three companies that, that are pushing palm oil out of New Guinea. One of the executives was on tape talking about massive human rights violations where they're using child labor they're brutalizing villagers to force them to work in these palm oil plantations. And so it, 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 it blew up in the news and all of a sudden, you know, Nestle and Kellogg's and probably Hershey's all stopped all these companies that were target that were linked with this one company in, in New Guinea stopped buying palm oil from them. But it, again, it, it really made me think, okay, well, they just got caught. So who's the next person they're going to go buy palm oil from? So what do we do this Halloween, Chris? I know. It's, it's so hard. It's so hard. It's just. Of course, over Halloween, we always try to buy sustainable treats to pass out to the neighborhood kids. And so we look for sustainable palm oil or no palm oil candy. That's always a great, a great uh, solution. And, and there's usually several lists that are passed around uh, you often in my social media feeds from uh, zoos. I know the Santa Fe college teaching zoo has one and the Cheyenne mountain zoo. They have an app, right. About better yep. palm oil options that are at least, yeah. 
at least rated higher. Uh, And so what does your data show are some of the better ones? Right. So for those that live in the United States, the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo palm oil app works great. uh, I haven't tried it here in New Zealand lately, but it wasn't working for me. But I know, I believe in the UK, they have an app. There's another app out there and maybe parts of Europe do. Where I go, and, and I've, I've referenced this before, is the World Wildlife Fund has a scorecard of you know palm oil buyers. And when it came to Halloween, Mars Inc. was the best scored company I could find. Okay. So I believe that's the majority of candy for Halloween that people could buy and feel comfortable that the palm oil used in there is sustainable. Okay. That's M&M's, Skittles, Snickers, right. Milky Way. Okay. Where's my Almond Joys? That's what I need to know. <laughs> yeah. Who makes that? Who makes Almond Joys? I don't know. But John, John always gets so, he, he can't believe that I like them. <laughs> well, I don't her- eat the nut though. For, I don't actually yeah. eat the almond. So it doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> well, the Hershey company has a decent score. But like I said, they just got caught up, caught up in this palm oil scandal out of Papua New Guinea. So I know there's, you read it and the conservationists all have issues with sustainable palm oil. That means, you know, the habitat's been lost, you know, the orangutan forest is gone and now we're buying palm oil from those places because, you know, now they're quote unquote sustainable. They're not going out and plowing down more habitat but it's the best we got right now, you know, so use the app when you can and then look for those lists. Uh, uh, Almond Joy is a Hershey's company. And it's got a it, decent score. It, it, yeah. Okay. Okay. Score. Okay. The one that surprised me the most was, and I don't, you know, I don't eat personally eat a lot of fast food, but Wendy's has like one of the worst scores on there. And I was like, Wendy's get your stuff together. Like I will, you know, when the kids want nobody needs a frosty that bad. No, no. I'm like, I'm surprised they haven't had enough. They haven't caved to public pressure because, again, vote with your dollar, and these companies do change. Correct. Absolutely. Right. So that is unfortunately what's going on in, in New Guinea. Well, Chris, let's make sure to put uh, some of these lists and apps on our show notes this week at allcreaturespod.com. So you can have links to the WWF list and also um, the Cheyenne Mountain uh, Sustainable Palm Oil app. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, and then just just to wrap it up, I mean, New Guinea, it, it's it's just such a unique place on earth. 11 million people. They have a thousand different tribes and each tribe has like almost their own language. So there's just numerous languages on there. It's actually yeah. I've most... watched documentaries about yeah. um, linguists and people trying to yeah. study and preserve some of these yeah. languages and how yeah. unique and untouched they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's the most linguistic. This is a tongue twister. Linguistically diverse area in the world. So so cool. Yeah, and yeah. a birder's dream, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they said in Western Papua New Guinea, there's an estimated 44 uncontacted tribal groups. So awesome. That are just still living off the land, you know, living with nature. You think they're doing okay without social media? Yeah, they're doing just fine. (laughs) Probably better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
so hopefully one day I, I can get up there, you know, and and um, and see that that part of the world. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Now, moving on to evolution, Angie. It's interesting with the cidiforms. Am I saying that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. The okay. silent. Yes, okay. So the uh, the parrots. So again, with birds, over 10,000 species, and we're still discovering new species all the time. Like Angie said, what, over 400 species of parrots? And the cidiforms order is subdivided into three different families, which, which I love because I want to talk about this a little bit. So you have the cidicodia, which are the true parrots. The cockatoodia, which are the cockatoos, and then the stringopodia, which is the New Zealand parrots. So obviously I'm like, oh, wow, okay, this is home. Now, the New Zealand parrots, which I love, is because, you know, they're my backyard and and I've seen the caca. There are four species left because, again, you know, we've always talked about how New Zealand has gone through a lot of species loss. So the kia, which is a really beautiful, beautiful parrot species, uh, Jesse at the Hamilton Zoo, they have kia. They're the only alpine parrot species. So you see them in the snow and I'll have to. I, I, Wait, so we did the kia, I think, then. No, no, we haven't done a parrot. Oh, <laughs> this is the first one. This is the first oh one. boy. Hashtag mom brain. Yeah, no, no, no. I remember no, no, reading no. about, though, how it was acclimated to the cold and how rare that is. But I guess mm-hmm. I read so much stuff each week for this podcast mm-hmm. that it mm-hmm. it's probably mm-hmm. in my notes of, ooh, we need to cover that. Yeah. Yeah, they're amazing. They're amazing. And they, oh, they're, they're a love here in New Zealand, especially when they tear stuff off your car. People just love them. <laughs> <They're> just... <laughs> that's a, well, that's how the peacocks attack our cars at the zoo <laughs> yeah, in green yeah. season. When they see them, when they see themselves like in our, the shiny car, uh, then they attack the car. Luckily, our car is so dirty that usually <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> not a problem. Yeah. Now they're endangered. The key is endangered. Now the North Island caca. I've seen them at uh, the Sanctuary Mountain where I, I've like, I turned a corner and I surprised three of them and they're squawking. And I was like, oh my goodness. It was amazing. I, I got to put that video on Instagram uh, with that happening because he like fell off his perch and he was mad and he was like squawking at me and I backed way up because I literally turned the corner and they were 10 feet from me. They're endangered. The South Island caca, that one's endangered. And then the cockapo. Again, ground-dwelling parrot is critically endangered. They are currently on an island because they they, they can't be where there's uh, mammals, you know, ground mammals that will that will eat them or eat their eggs or their young. So, but the, you know, they're critically endangered, and we'll definitely will cover them in the future. 
Now, the Dracula parrot is part of the Psittacoulidae family. And again, they're part of the Psittacodia true parrot order. Now, the Psittacoulidae is the old world parrots and about 196 species from Australia, Asia, down to Africa. So our good friend Chantel and all of them over in Australia, God, their birds over there are just beautiful. Amazing. Mm -hmm. So when you take, so this gets a little convoluted, Angie, and, and I apologize to the listeners. I will try to make this as clear as mud. In the Psittacodiae super family, you can divide that out into three separate families. There's the Psittacinae, which is the family of African parrots, 11 known species. I think the most famous one I could read from that list was like the gray parrot. And these are parrots that run from Africa to the Arabian Peninsula. Then the Psittacoulidae family is Asian and Australasian parrots and lovebirds. So you have the lorikeets, fig parrots, and others. Oh, I worked with a lorikeet. Love them. Yes, yes. And then there's the Psittachasidae family, which has two subfamilies. Vesa parrots, which is Madagascar. And then the Sitterchesinae, which is where our Dracula parrot is all by themselves. All by themselves. That's That was my take-home message. Mm-hmm. Okay. There you go. So this is a very unique parrot in the parrot family. Yeah. It's its own line. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Okay. Now, the genus is Sitterchess. Oh, these words today. And You're doing great. The Dracula is the only species. <laughs> Then Citricus fulgidus is its scientific name. That's it. And it's its own species. All right. So there is the the parrot family, which we need to explore more because there's 400 beautiful birds in there that we can cover uh, a few more. Just the colors and the patterns. Just. Uh, I can't wait to get to intelligence. So I got to behavior. Yeah. They're so smart. All right, evolution. We just did a bird again, starts 160 million years ago. Parrots specifically, again, it's interesting with these birds. They don't have a lot of fossils, you know, finding a lot of this. So the oldest fossil they actually have to parrots was found about 55 million years ago. It found in Denmark, but they believe they, they actually emerged about 80 million years ago. Now, old world parrots today really. After that fifth mass extinction, about 55 million, 60 million years ago, is when we see, once the Earth starts recovering, dinosaurs are extinct, you see a lot of these animals start to radiate out. And that's when old world parrots, they believe, really started to radiate out. And really, they think Australasia was where they originated. But again, quickly, I mean, if if you're 55 million years fossil in Denmark, that means, you know, period over a few million years, they, they, they got through Asia, Eurasia pretty quickly. And the New World parrots emerged about 50 million years ago. So, again, quickly, you know, the, these birds were able to radiate out on, around Earth. The closest order of birds are the passerines, which we just mm-hmm. covered, the songbirds. And then for the songbirds and parrots, the closest relative are the falcons, which I thought was cool. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah. Nothing specific on Dracula parrot. There's just, again, 
there's a big gap in knowledge from that radiation out to today's species. But you imagine not a lot of it's still adapting, but not a lot of changes probably. Now, I did find something interesting I wanted to bring up today. And that is the smallest parrot species. So if you had to estimate the size of the smallest parrot on Earth, how big are you thinking? Hmm. Well, uh, maybe like my like my hand. No. Hold it in my hand. <laughs> you can hold it in your hand. I'd say you hold it almost your thumb. Wow. So the smallest parrot on Earth is the pygmy parrot. Three to four inches in length. So, oh, how about, darling. About the size of a human thumb. I got to look at this thing. Stand yeah. by. <laughs> and guess where they live? Papua New Guinea. Yes, New Guinea and oh, nearby look at islands. That thing. Oh, it's so yeah. darling. Yeah, the pygmy parrot. Oh, so, I, I, I found that. I was like, oh, I got to bring it up to the podcast because it's just, it's so tiny and cute. It's just so Well, cute. I know the one of the biggest, or at least the heaviest is your cockapoo in New Zealand. Yeah. Well, they're ground dwelling, right? So they don't... Yeah, they, don't they weigh about nine pounds. Yeah. Like yeah, a house they're... cat. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Oh, I can't wait to see one. I will definitely see one soon. Now, there's, uh, Angie, so much to cover in this, especially we talk about intelligence. Uh, the other thing I found interesting is aging. The Dracula parrot specifically, I saw data lives up to 50 years uh, under human care, but 20 to 40 years in the wild. Uh, But I found a lot of interesting data. So we get to intelligence and stuff. But looking just specifically at physiology, one of the things I looked into was was the beaked or the hooked bills Mm -hmm. on parrots. And just quickly before you jump in, one of the things... I found interesting. Again, it's made up of keratin, which is the same thing your fingernails, hair, rhino horn, other types of horn, but it's constantly growing, right? Like a fingernail. So, you know, that's why I think with birds, you always have to have something in the cage for them to work their beaks down, right? Like, so it's just something that's always, always growing. And, um, I did read that parrots are able to move their upper beak independently than their lower beak. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because of a unique joint. It's called the craniofacial hinge Mm -hmm. where other birds, the nutcracker. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So talk about that. So when your finger was in her mouth. Well, I was still pretty new at the zoo, but I had been there long enough to know that it was my pinky finger and like the, the right, the joint near the nail bed. And yeah, I, I knew she could take it off. I mean, one crunch down. So I also knew enough to not, because of the hook, I knew enough not to pull it. Uh, because a lot of times then you can at least get a really bad cut. Uh, so if not worse, so your best bet is to just to do the standoff, the stare off and hope for the best. <laughs> oh, tequila. tequila. Oh, and all my friends that worked with her at the zoo. Yeah, she oh. was, she was so fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I put my finger in the wrong place. It was a hundred percent my fault. And that's why I yeah. just owned it. Like, okay, I'm just going to wait here and hopefully you will release that powerful, powerful, uh, beak. Well, and she did. So important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh Yeah. But Chris, speaking of beaks, it's really interesting that most parrots actually taste with the top of their beaks. 
And so they, they have some taste glands in the back of their throats, uh, but most of their 300 or so uh, taste buds are going to be located on the roof or the upper part of their mouth or their beak. And so, yeah, they definitely have food preferences and they can taste the sweetness in food. And we have a lot more taste buds on our tongue. Humans do. Humans probably maybe have like 10,000 taste buds just generically on the top of their tongue uh, compared to about the 300 or so that, that a general parrot may have. Uh, but yeah, anybody who's worked with them know that uh, they have food preferences and especially for sweet things. And uh, and then I found it really interesting, actually, uh, although most parrots are frugivores or, or definitely herbivores or eat a lot of seeds uh, and nuts that uh, some parrots are a little bit omnivores and will eat meat once in a while. So I thought that was super fascinating from a, from a nutritional point of view. And I know I was reading a lot because there's not a ton of literature at all about the Dracula parrot. So I was digging up some scholarly articles, I think from the seventies and early eighties when um, they were trying to learn more about them under human care at the LA zoo and feeding them different fruits like mangoes and just different things. And then they actually did feed them a little bit of a, um, a meat, a little bit of meat in their diet as well. So Probably they probably probably wouldn't necessarily maybe do that in the wild, but mm-hmm. they want to make sure that they're getting them all the amino acids as possibly when they're living under human care. So just trying right. to trying to learn learn about these guys a little bit. Uh, so I thought that was pretty fascinating reading some of the old uh, zookeeper notes from the seventies yeah. and eighties. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's yeah. They have a really great bird team there. Uh, I remember walking up to the uh, condor. Uh, center, which, which was amazing up there in, in, at the LA Zoo. So shout out to them. Angie, one study, and I know I sent this to you, and I it, it, it's very dense, but the study's name was Parrot Genomes and the Evolution of Heightened Longevity and Cognition. And it was Current Biology. It was published in 2018. What I found really interesting is talking about bird brain and and then i just really quick before we do the lifespan i I found was interesting so basically what the study looked at is comparing the genome all the genes their genetic code and they were comparing it to humans and human genes that we know code for certain things so one of the things they found is parrots live really long, right? Some of them into their eighties, nineties, a hundred, right? Mm-hmm. You've mentioned that in a podcast before. I think like owning a bird is like a lifelong commitment written into people's wills because when you die, that animal is still there. It probably has another 30 years to go and you have to hand that off to somebody that will take them. And then the bird may not like that person. Yeah, no, <laughs> they're pretty <laughs> yeah. peculiar about, uh, they typically bond with one or two people. So mm-hmm. yeah, the, yeah. Parrots as pets is a whole different pod for a different day. Different day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially we get a researcher on here, but what they found is, is some of the, the genes that they have and that help support this long lifespan is DNA damage repair and slow down cell death due to stress or they have genes that help with limit cell overgrowth or cancers. I know with elephants, we actually 
one of the researchers I was working with back in the day, she was involved in looking at markers, why elephants don't develop cancer, mm-hmm. but also with parrots. I mean, they could teach us a lot with some of this genetic work that they're doing right now with them. Yeah, so fascinating. Now, what I really was was looking at, the, the reason I came across this study is I was looking at parrot intelligence. And just because I wanted to be able to talk to Angie about it, because I know that's kind of what, where you really You wanted to be want. able to talk intelligently with me about parrot intelligence. <laughs> yes, yes. It does not be <laughs> like, that's interesting. But, you know, they're the smartest among all the birds. They have bigger brains or an expanded brain. Are they the smartest? That's what they say in this study, or okay. among the smartest. Yeah, I know they're, it's the, the ravens and crows are what they yes. are tied with, the corvids. Yeah, we're going to definitely cover them soon. But what they found is, in this genetic study, is brain development in parrots has similar markings to humans, certain parts so, of the brain. Yeah. So parrots, they the study concluded, have bigger brains than, than most other birds, more mm-hmm. communication skills, and more genes active, I, I guess is a good way to put it, that are similar mm-hmm. to human brain and human brain development. So that was fascinating. So talking about intelligence, Angie, like these don't have bird brains, right? They are No, brilliant. the other the other way to think about it is definitely no bird brain or some people like to refer to them as feathered apes. Yes, yes, I saw that. Yeah. But interestingly enough, it was the the corvids, the ravens and the crows that first kind of got that nickname. Uh, because if you look, I've read this whole paper about kind of the history of uh, of what we know about bird intelligence. And it was first parrots that a lot of researchers took interest into because of their language skills. and But then ravens and crows with their tool use and just their memory and really cool behavior that they do really took off as well. And then a lot of the research focused on ravens and crows. And they became first labeled, quote unquote, the feathered ape. But then basically in the 70s, 80s, and even now currently, the parrot research has picked back up and a lot more interest into it. And they've uh, there's a lot of comparisons basically saying, well, if you're going to call the corvid family the, fly, the feathered apes, that, that the, the parrots are very similar. Um, uh, smarter or not, I think it depends on like skill sets and what tests they're doing, but just right up there with, I mean, dolphins and apes and passing some tests better than even great apes can. But I think historically, one of the most famous parrots is Alex. And Alex was an African gray parrot who was said to have the intelligence of a human five-year-old. So my Zachary right now. Uh, and he was worked with for years and could do so many different tasks. He could count, uh, count different colors of blocks, uh, just so many studies back in the 1970s. And the research on him and his intelligence spanned like three decades. And he understood like same versus different, bigger, smaller. He could count up to eight, subtract numbers, uh, learning different alphabets, Arabic numbers, just really, really intelligent. I mean, some of those things I don't even know at this point in time, right? And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a lot of this work was done in what's known as the Pepperberg Lab, which was out of the University of Arizona, but um, and then it went to MIT for a while, and now it's currently basically at Harvard. 
And there they have two gray parrots, um, a 24-year-old Griffin and six-year-old Athena, who the researchers continue to focus on basically human language abilities, uh, specific tasks, uh, testing their reasoning, uh, and understanding how they can use inferential reasoning to make well-supported guesses. And in fact, a recent study in 2019 showed that Griffin, this gray parrot, it's a classic study that even young children can't pass, where uh, it's called the two-cup test, where a reward is hidden in one of two cups, and then the parrots or the subject are shown and are allowed to observe the fact that one of the one cup is one of the cups is empty. So those that pass the test are basically able to infer by exclusion or reason that, well, if the reward wasn't in the one that the the human just showed me, then the reward must be in the other cup. And I know it sounds simple, but it's actually, like I said, little kids fail it all the time. (laughs) And then, I mean, we we can put the the study, it's really cool, on our uh, our show notes, but they proceed to keep going it further and do like a three cup and four cup test. And then even with a four cup, they do it in pairs and they just keep, they keep pushing the bird uh, to make sure that it's not just uh, basically uh, like it's that's not passing the test because it's just guessing that is really using inference, if you will. And so just really, really amazing things. But Chris, the world record holder for a vocabulary mm-hmm. was actually uh, by a blue parakeet uh, named Puck that knew more than 1,700 words. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I wouldn't think that many. Wow. 1700 yeah 1700 so, words that's insane yeah and i'm oh. sure i'm sure uh, griffin and athena these gray parrots at the pepperberg lab could uh could probably do that but they're focusing i think on other skill sets now and trying to understand more of these these higher cognition things besides just besides just words like well what do these actually do these words actually mean so just incredible. And of course, when I was looking for Dracula parrot intelligence, there there wasn't a ton out there because very few of them are even under human care and we're still learning about them in the wild. But as a frugivore that has to find and remember where specialized fruits are um, and where the nectars and flowers and seeds that they like to eat are, and it it makes sense they're also a highly intelligent bird species as well, high, a highly skilled fru- frugivore mm-hmm. uh, that would display several of these intelligent behaviors if, if, if us humans were ever able to test them. But it's really interesting to see where this parrot intelligent research and or uh, the, the corvid family, the ravens or the crows, where, where it's going. Uh, because I think now it might be one of these things where it's like, do us humans actually know how to how to keep testing them, right? To keep showing how intelligent they really are, and it's just it's just something we're going to keep our eye on. It's so fascinating, 
And uh, I, <laughs> it's just well, you always just like yeah, you, you want to get a researcher on here so bad. You're like, I'm not doing a parrot till I have someone lined up. <laughs> totally, totally. So we still got to tra- tra- track one down. If anybody, has well, now I know about this Pepperberg lab, and yeah. and go from there. And uh, my sister in law works at MIT, so maybe she can uh, get some. Just walk over to Harvard and uh, <laughs> see what she can do for me. Yeah. I, know, I, know, I know, I know, I know, but. Yeah, it's just it's just incredible. I mean, watching the videos of them on YouTube problem solve. I mean, and same thing with the uh, I, we need to talk to about the ravens and the crows. In fact, we were going to do that this Halloween, but we were like we punted it. We're like, well, maybe mm. next spooky October, but I don't know if we're going to be able to wait that long. We'll have no, to we'll have no. to maybe let our Patreon um, listeners decide, help decide that which which intelligent bird, which birds we should cover next. So, just yeah, it's just really really incredible. And and as I mentioned, we'll put some of these uh, papers on our show notes. So if you want to really dork out mm. like Chris and I did, <laughs> and yeah, read I about the, the history of parrot intelligence studies, uh, you can do that. Well, they're fascinating. I mean, they're they just... are fascinating, and and I like to do because I studied a lot with about horse and horse intelligence mm-hmm. and where mm-hmm. where where we've come and where we're going. And Chris, what a lot of it boils down to, which we is a reoccurring theme on this podcast, is that there's just really not enough money going into this research. And Mm -hmm. when we do find the funds and the researchers that are trained in these, these expertise, it's, I mean, the animals, like, like for my hypothesis, uh, for my master's work, Mm -hmm. like these foals were smarter than I could even design the project for. Yeah, I know. I know. Like my bad. I didn't know. I I was like, Oh, I better start kind of, you know, somewhere in the middle and I should basic and I, and I should have started way higher or had higher expectations. And so, uh, I mean, I think that's the thing is it's the more we look and the more we study and the more we start to understand, it's just, it just keeps uh, blowing our minds, which is so cool, which is another yeah. reason why we should care that over 25% of parrot species are Indeed. endangered or threatened or not going to be around the next 20, 30, 40 years if we don't get our acts together. I know, I know, I know. And then, you know, just to tie up physiology, because, you know, talk about, and before we jump into to any other behaviors, but you talk about those talons or claws or feet, you know, I guess do they have talons. I guess not. They don't have talons, right? That's more. No, that's birds Chris, of prey. Yeah, that's but they are <laughs> known as a zygodactyl okay. parrot toes. Yeah. They, um, like most other birds, the parrots do have fo- four toes per foot, but instead of the three in front, one in back, Parrot are two in front and two behind, kind of like opposable yeah. thumbs, so they can okay. grip. Okay, and then okay. crack nuts and yeah. do do a lot of those. Their their feet almost act like a hand. Yeah. So I remember going back to loggerhead shrike. I remember they don't have talons. That's why their beaks were so specialized. Correct. Yeah. So these are yeah, yeah the the two in front, two in back. Yeah. The, yeah. The and grasp. You, yeah. And if you ever watch a parrot eat, they they'll they'll hold it with their foot and move it around and do things with it, which actually brings me to another point in the podcast about the bare the uh, the bare feathers on their face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The researchers are they speculate because the uh, Dracula parrot does eat a lot of like these juicy figs and sticky fruits and stuff like that. That the bare head enables them not to get their feathers all matted and gross from the sticky, juicy fruit. So that's why they think that they have a bare head Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. let's just bare around their eyes, basically. 
which is somewhat similar to why vultures have a bear right. head because of all the bloody carrion icky Guts. stuff that they eat. To, <laughs> yeah, to help keep it. Yeah, yeah just. Yeah, we t- keep we bacteria the, out of their feathers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We covered that in the condor episode, yeah, about why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you talk about, you know, they just specialize eating figs and nectar and flowers. And again, it, that's what's unique about New Guinea is a lot of these birds are specialists. Very specialist frugivore. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so when you mm-hmm. start cutting down their habitat, they lose their food. They become extinct. That simple, you know. Well... It, it, you know, if they can't adapt, but uh-huh, you know, that's why these don't migrate. They're to one area where these figs grow. Right. Well, no, Chris, you brought out the, uh, one of the research papers I pulled up, um, it was a breeding biology. I was trying to learn more, a little bit more about, uh, about the Dracula parrot and, and this, this paper out of Austral ornithology in 2019, it wanted to look at the breeding biology of several parrots in New Guinea. So the palm cockatoo, the Pesquets parrot, the Dracula parrot, and then the Eclectus parrot. And so they studied these parrots uh, for a 28-month period in Papua New Guinea, and they found 51 palm cockatoos, 34 Pesquet parrots, and 71 Eclectus parrots' nests. And by following these parrots around and understanding their and looking into their breeding and their biology, what they found is the Eclectus parrot, they live in taller, bigger trees. Whereas the palm cockatoos and the Dracula parrots, they prefer to excavate a nest out of a hollow or a dead tree at lower distances, like closer distances to the ground. So still high up, but closer to the ground. And this is what's really, really important to take note of is that the fledgling success, so the little baby birds when they fledge and leave the nest, the success rate for the eclectus parrot was 54% and 40% for the palm cockatoo, but only 17% for the pesquet parrots for their fledglings. So looking at these numbers and thinking about these parrots that live in a sympatric rainforest, so sympatric just means that they live near each other, uh, they cross territories and stuff like that in New Guinea, is that the birds that lived in the higher tree nests, so higher up, did better, and the one that were more generalist, they had generalist feeding habits, so they weren't such specialists in only one of these certain figs, they did better than the other species. So because the Dracula parrot is not fledging at such a great rate, there are less of them. And of course, with habitat destruction and things like that, these lower populations make basically make it harder for them to find another bird to breed with. And it's just, it uh, can cripple their numbers faster than they had previously Mm -hmm. thought. Yeah, it's really low. It's really low. And then just some of the other cool behaviors that you could find. Well, Chris, when you think of a parrot, you always have to think of a vocalization, right? Uh, It's when we talked about all the words that uh, the different parrots can learn and, of course, all the different sounds that they make. Uh, Well, the Pesquet parrot or the Dracula parrot is not known to necessarily repeat human language and say, Polly wants a cracker. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But it is known to to be a noisy bird, and they make several different calls. I mean, just depending on what they are trying to communicate and who they're communicating to. And so 
basically if they're if they're flying around within a small group, they can make uh, right, uh, harsh growling calls, and uh, they will also make higher pitched vocal sounds uh, that may have a rasping note to it. And when mating pairs find themselves far away from each other, they make a more of a nasal sound to communicate these kind of like cries to one another about where they're at or where the fruit tree is at. And then if they're really, really far apart, they can really make their voice travel and they'll make a very just loud, piercing call to hopefully travel through the jungle to find, um, to find their, uh, their mate. So lots of different vocalizations and, and they're definitely a chatty bird, but at this point to our knowledge, they're not necessarily saying Polly want a cracker or anything like that. And the Dracula parrot's not a super social bird. Um, they can be found living alone. However, it's been reported that if they're in an area where they're left alone from humans and not hunted a lot, that you might see 10 or 14 of them roosting in trees together. And they're often found in pairs because it's thought that they most likely are monogamous. And so they'll, they'll be with their mate hanging out a lot of the year. Um, especially depending on if it's breeding season. And like, I, I know you said it, it, it it's really tough because they're just, they're so remote. So we don't know a lot, but, but what do we know about, you know, breeding season, things like that with them? Yeah. So um, it's reported that they do have a breeding season that's going to take place um, from February to April or maybe up to May, depending on the weather. And uh, they do like to nest in, trees that have like a hollowed out area and to build a nest uh it was observed at the la zoo in the 1980s that the female will do a lot of the work as far as chipping out chipping away at the log that she wants to put the nest in and then getting rid of the wood pieces um and other debris and that the male doesn't necessarily do much work but the man the male is very aggressive and protective of the nest as the female's building it. And the male also does, um, will help feed the female when she's gestating the eggs. And to back up a little bit, the female Dracula parrot will lay two eggs. Uh, and usually the female will inc incubate these eggs for about a month. Like I said, the male will feed her. So that's very nice and loving. And, uh, also once the eggs hatch, the female will start to make, uh, changes to the nest a little bit, or this was ob observed at the LA zoo where she'll fix up the interior and basically, um, put, poke little holes in it to allow drainage. And so the, the, the zoo staff thought that this might be, uh, for when it rains, that the hatchlings wouldn't like that the water would drain out of this pretty deep nest and not, you know, not, uh, not drowned and then also keep the nest clean. So the female has a lot of, uh, innate nesting behaviors as far as keeping, keeping a clean house once the hatchlings are born. And of course the chicks are super needy and the, um, and the parents feed them for a long time and they're born without feathers and they're blind and they're just cute little, ugly, little, wonderful <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Dracula parrots, yes. as I'm sure you can imagine. Yes, yes. And then 
And several months later, uh, the Dracula parrot fledglings will leave the nest. And as that one study showed, they don't have great, uh, a great fledgling success. Um, but researchers did know that uh, when they do finally leave mom and dad's nest, they like leave for good. Where other parrot species, I guess they kind of are like me in college. I was like in and out, in and out. Mm-hmm. Can I have some money? Can I have some food? I used yes. to always take so much food from their pantry. <laughs> I feel bad about it now because I had to like buy snacks and stuff for my kids. And I'm like, man, I was, wow. My mom, my mom really loved me. She yeah, would let me yeah. load up before I, I went back to, back to, back to college. Yeah. So, uh, but that's how it's, um, that that's more common in other parrot species. But from what researchers think so far, uh, probably not so much in the uh, Dracula parrot when they're when they're off on their own. They're off on their own, which could be potentially some of this re- reason for not that great of fledgling success, right? If mom and dad aren't helping you out with snacks and guidance um, when you're still young and vulnerable, like where would I be, Chris? I mean, I'm sure without my mom's snacks know, and her I guidance, uh, I would uh, I would not be where I am today. So, thanks, no, mom. No. Yeah, if you talk about nest building, I'm going to challenge you when we get to another bird, kind of look into that behavior. Because as I walk around here, it's springtime and and all the birds are starting to build nests. And I'm just like, they built some intricate, crazy nests. They're just Oh, yeah. Think about like the basket weaving bird, right? Yeah. The beavers. Like mm-hmm. they're just, oh, they're amazing. They're, they're just, oh. Gotta love birds. Uh, you know, and like Angie said, the these ones are vulnerable. And we started off the podcast. Maybe twenty to fifty thousand left. You know their population is decreasing. They're they are poached for their feathers, and again habitat loss. So I I don't suspect there's a Dracula parrot foundation out there somewhere, but there is, there is not. I'm gonna give yeah. I'll give two shout outs. Um, first, it's to the uh, Wildlife Conservation Society uh, that does talk about the Dracula parrot and a program that they've been working on abroad in Papua New Guinea is they've been actually trying to uh, restore and or preserve uh, native traditional headdresses that have been worn for a long, long time um, in several of these different uh, societies throughout the Papua New Guinea area and the headdresses often are made from feathers that can include the Dracula parrot's feathers. And so one of the rationale for this initiative was to go in and they have, I mean, these headdresses are just like amazing. Right. But if they, if they can preserve them from the humidity and the mold and insect damage or, um, or even like, you know, mice going after them, um, then that would help, uh, help reduce the demand for potentially poaching more Dracula parrots. And so the WCS, um, in Papua New Guinea, so the WCS PNG for Papua New Guinea, uh, is uh, developed and provides a protection kit to help preserve what they already have in hopes that they don't go back out in the forest to get more. So I thought that was a really, 
a really interesting approach and potentially a great one, right? Like you're not, we're not going in there as Westerners saying like, you shouldn't have headdresses, but in the same instance saying, okay, well, you, you know, you have these and they're a really important part of your culture and your cultural heritage uh, and they're stunning and gorgeous. So let's keep them that way. And then you can pass them down generation after generation instead of, you know, making a new one every couple of years, if you will. So I thought that was wonderful. And so um, we'll put the uh, Wildlife Conservation Society in Papua New Guinea on our show notes. And um, and then also, I think it's worth a mention to check out too, uh, especially on social media, is World Parrot Trust. And they can be found at www.parrots.org. And so the World Parrot Trust is a nonprofit organization uh, that wants to conserve uh, endangered and threatened parrot species throughout the world. And they work globally with researchers and in-country organizations, of course, local communities and governments to try to figure out what programming will work best there and then implementing that program to basically help save wild spaces, inspire change, uh, rewild parrots to save wild spaces, uh, and save, of course, parrots, inspire change within the communities, um, and fight uh, wildlife trade. So I highly recommend checking out World Parrot Trust on social media. Give them a like and a follow, and you'll just see all the different things that they're doing to help protect so many uh, species of parrots. And they have a really informative website as well. So we're going to keep our eye to them and uh, hopefully maybe be able to donate some money this month. Uh, so yeah, check out World Parrot Trust. Yeah, for sure. And then just just final reminders, you know, the palm oil apps, check out what kind of candy you buy this Halloween. And and then always, you know, the Cornell uh, eBird or Merlin ID, I highly recommend. For those in Australia, the, the bird count app, uh, Aussie Backyard bird count apps out there too. So anyways, Ange, I love covering these birds. Uh, I don't know what we're going to cover next. I have an inkling, but, uh, you know, we'll get back to the ground. Uh, something that, that crawls. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. The cockapoo. Yeah, I know. I know. We definitely get the cockapoos next on the bird list. But thank you for listening. Thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed our spooky October. You know, we'll be back next year with some of these obscure, crazy species. I mean, goblin shark, loggerhead shrike. Ooh, I just saw the the ghost crab. We can put that on the list for next year. Okay, Mm. it's invertebrate. We'll we'll go back to an invertebrate. We'll try one. I'll just need the year to prepare for it. But yes. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to do the mantis shrimp. I'm going to do that one. Um and then ending the month with the Dracula parrot. But thank you so much for listening, supporting us, the nice messages. Have a safe and happy Halloween, and we'll be back next week. Thank you, everyone. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.